This is episode number 308, Positivity and Resilience with Olympian Leah Davison. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. And it gave me this experience of developing resilience and heartbreak and how do I get through that, that I think everyone goes through. And it's very applicable to everybody. And another lesson I learned is like, we need to remain open in these times, like uh, really tough times when things are uncertain, like, I didn't get selected for the team, so what am I going to do now? And am I going to retire? Am I not? Right? Like, there's a lot of transition and change for me. And I just try to remain open to what's going to surface because you just never know what's going to pop up. Well-being in sport or well-being whenever you're striving for anything in your life is something that's important to remember and something that we often forget about. A lot of times the things that contribute to our well-being are thrown to the wayside when we are myopically focused on one goal. Sustainability in your sport or in your career is often linked to coming back to finding what fills your cup and contributing to that sense of well-being. I was really excited to introduce Leah Davison to the show. She is somebody that I have been watching and getting my butt kicked by <laughs> for many years. And she has been mountain bike racing since 2001. Since then, Leah has earned a silver medal at the 2016 World Championships, a bronze medal at the 2014 World Championships, and finished third overall in the 2015 World Cup Series. She's had a very long-standing career, and every time I've seen Leah, she always has a big smile on her face, she's always uplifting others, and a lot of times she's dancing and just putting out this enthusiastic vibe, and that always draws me to Leah. Leah's passion is getting the next generation of females riding mountain bikes, and she did so by co-founding the Little Bellas, a mentoring program on mountain bikes for girls, and that's been going on for a number of years. Prior to her start in mountain biking, she also competed as a downhill ski racer. In today's podcast, we talk about a lot of things that are near and dear to my heart, specifically positivity, resilience, goal setting, and the importance of family. And positivity and resilience sound like great buzzwords, but how do you manage to muster that whenever you're in the thick of it? Leah competed in the 2012 Olympic Games where she placed 11th and also in the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio where she came 7th. And her Olympic dream did not stop there. She was on the long team to go to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. And just like a lot of other Olympic hopefuls, the pandemic threw a wrench into the spoke, so to speak. Leah tells an inspiring story in her TED Talk about how the women's long Olympic team of mountain bikers worked together to create more starting positions in the Olympics so that they could all make the pie bigger. Leah talks today about how disappointing it was for her to not get one of those spots for the Tokyo Olympics. She had to wrestle with what she wanted to do with her career and how she wanted to continue, and you get to hear that in today's podcast as well. 
Coming out of the dark and into the light is something that we have all struggled with in our lives. And as you listen to Leah, you'll definitely be able to see yourself in her stories. A key takeaway for me today in this podcast with Leah is about why we should remain open. And that can be so hard whenever things aren't going your way. We also talked about the importance of mentorship. We talked about how she sets goals in her races. We also talked about her work with Athlete Ally and her new cycling kit. And last, if you follow Leah at all, you know well that her family is really important to her. So make sure that you listen to this podcast to hear a bunch of her wisdom from 20 years of mountain bike racing at the world's top level. If you enjoy topics like positivity and resilience and how to be your best self and how to ground yourself in well-being while striving for more, you might like my newsletter. It comes out every single Monday and you can get it at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter where I write an article, I share the podcast of the week, and I give you a question to ponder. And if this is your first or second time to the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you get a notification every single week when this show comes out. We love and appreciate all of you and those of you who are about to leave us reviews. Ratings and reviews help the show find others so that the time that the guests spend sharing all of their knowledge will find other people to inspire their journey. So now let's get into it. Here is Leah Davison. Well, first of all, Leah, what's your shirt say? Um, It says never give up. What's GSF? It's the Gwendolyn Strong Foundation. So it's they fundraise for it's like rare diseases or maybe one particular rare disease, but mm-hmm. I just love the messaging. It's and in particular for right now in the US. Like I feel like we are in a oh like with the news, you know, Roe versus Wade and, and everything, we're in a moment where we gotta keep fighting. So I had to put yeah. this shirt on today. <laughs> Yeah. I I love that shirt and that message. And yeah, there's a lot of heaviness um, happening right now, but you still say it with a smile. So just in general, I noticed, I've always noticed about you. I've always looked up to you. Like you're always so happy and positive and you're always dancing. And I'm sure that inside (laughs) you don't always feel that way. So how do you, how do you stay appear so positive and, and vibrant all the time? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. And thank you. I mean, I think in general, I'm a joyful person. And, um, but yeah, it's true. Like I still get down and I still have low moments. And, you know, this morning I'm just like kind of floundering, you know, looking at social media, looking at the news. And, and then I realized like, okay, this is not good for me. Like this is not bringing me anywhere. So I, I just like, sometimes it takes a lot, but I like got myself up. I made myself a latte. I put on my never give up shirt and then I started a strength workout. Right. So it's just like for me moving and working out and just like that simple act of beginning, then things will start to morph. So yeah, moving obviously and riding is a way that I like literally and metaphorically move through things. And then, yeah, we can talk about resilience a lot because the past, you know, the past couple of seasons have really tested, I think, my resilience. And and I've learned a lot about how to never give up and how to like kind of cultivate that resilience that I needed to get through those seasons. 
Yeah. And I definitely want to get into those, but there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that aren't actually mountain bikers. Oh, cool. And it's really, it's really cool. So for those who aren't familiar with mountain biking in your career, can you, I know you have had like a 20 plus year career and it's really hard to say, Hey, can you just give me a a quick (laughs) overview for the, for the listeners? But yeah. Can you just give a, an overview and it doesn't have to be quick. Cause I know that there's a lot of highlights in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My name is Leah Davison. I'm a professional mountain biker. As you said, I've been racing for 20 plus years. So that's a really long career. I've focused primarily on international racing at the Olympic level, at the world cup level for my entire career. And Some of my career highlights, I'm a two-time Olympian. I went to the London 2012 Olympics. That was my first Olympics. I came in 11th. Then I went to the Rio 2016 Olympics, came in 7th. I'm also a two-time world championship medalist. So I have a bronze medal in the world championships in 2014. And then also a silver medal in the 2016 world championships. And In 2015, I was third overall in the World Cup Series. So yeah, those are some of the highlights that I'm pretty proud of, along with some national championships thrown in there. (laughs) Yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, tell us about the Little Bellas. Yeah. So the Little Bellas is an organization that I founded together with my sister and another woman, Angela Irvine, way back in 2007. So it's a all girls mentoring on mountain bikes program. Um, We started in Vermont now, and we're still headquartered in Vermont and we're now have chapters nationwide. So we're really, we have a staff and a core staff that supports all these chapters in Vermont, but we're really powered by our volunteer mentors. So each chapter of little Bella's each program has a program lead there's a regional coordinator, you know, coordinating and leading all those programs in, in these regions throughout the country. And then under each program, there are several volunteer mentors. So it's really an incredible community of women coming together and really teaching these girls how to ride bikes and and role modeling and creating this wonderful space where girls can come together and feel powerful, um, by way of riding mountain bikes. Yeah. That's so great that it's such a large program and that there's all different types of people for these girls to resonate with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was our whole idea is like, let's provide this group mentoring model. So these girls, you know, of all different types show up and they can literally pick from all of these incredible mentors and role models, like, hey, who do I resonate most the with, with, you know, like, who do I want to look up to? And they really, by way of that, they see like all of these different paths that they can take in life. And it's, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think something that's really interesting to tie in resilience here is that it's not something that you can just teach. It's not something you can just like read about or hear about. It's something that you have to experience. So whenever you're talking to a young girl about how to be more resilient, how do you bring that message across, but also, you know, saying that, Hey, like you, you need to experience this too, in order to bounce back. Yeah. I think mountain bike, mountain biking, as you know, is a great way to teach resilience because it's a hard sport, right? Like you are literally 
going over obstacles and surmounting obstacles. So the pro and crashing, right? Like you're failing throughout that process. And it could just be one in one moment, one obstacle in a day, or it could be, you know, throughout the course of a season, I want to try to finish this loop or ride this trail or keep up with this group, right? So it's all, a, I think it's all a lesson in resilience and that process of literally riding over an obstacle. So you like see this obstacle, you name it, you like communicate with your mentor or your group, like, hey, are you ready to tackle this or are you not? What makes you feel ready? And then we're here to support you, right? So we're like literally spotting these girls over the obstacle. So there's a lot of lessons in that, right? That are hidden in that simple act of riding a mountain bike. Like you need a support network, you know, to get over obstacles and, and develop resilience. And we create that in Little Bellas. You also need to, I think you, it takes a lot of communication. Like I call it, name it to tame it. And it's, you're not going to get anywhere by avoiding these like icky feelings, right? You got to like, feel them and get right through them. So it's like, yeah, I'm scared of this obstacle today. So I'm not ready to take it on. You know, so it's kind of teaching those threads of resilience and, and developing that as like a skill set. Yeah. And something else that's really interesting is mountain biking has a visual, like th it's very visual, right? Like you can see yeah. the rock or, or the root or whatever it is. It's the visual obstacle, but a lot of times the op there's obstacles in our mind that we can't see. Yes. And sometimes our mind is actually the obstacle, not the physical thing that we're looking at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's life, right? <laughs> like, and the, and the past couple of years has really put that to the test for all of us. I mean, with the pandemic and everything I say, we are all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Like we're experiencing this big storm in different ways. And you can't see that a lot of it is, is mental. And so it's like, how have we all collectively dealt with this major, major heartbreak, major challenge. And we've all had to develop resilience to like make it through. It's crazy. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah. So you alluded to when we first started chatting, like the last few years have been really hard. So what have those been like personally for you? I mean, I was going into the 2020 season, all, all of my energy focused on the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and everything was on track. You know, I was feeling great in training. I kind of saw it as my final moment. You know, this was my final opportunity at my lifelong dream of winning an Olympic medal. And I saw myself on a natural progression from, you know, the 11th place in London to the seventh place in Rio. Okay, this is my moment, like, I'm going to go for it. And it's, it's the culmination of 20 years, like a lifetime of hard work. And you know, at an elite level, when you are going to be the best in the world, like that's something you're aiming for there's no clocking out on that journey, right? Like every decision in my life is based around one question, which is, will this help or hurt my career, right? Like all the decisions, should I go to the barbecue? Will that, you know, will that help my training the next day? So it's really dedicating everything to this pursuit. 
And then, you know, the COVID hit and the Olympics were postponed. And, you know, that took a little bit of grieving for me because I was ready. I was ready for that opportunity. And I quickly pivoted to, okay, this will give me another year to prepare for the biggest moment in my life, you know, in my athletic career. And so, yeah, I just got in a groove and I was working really hard all 2020 season, you know, racing on Zwift, doing everything I could do. And then leading into the 2021 season, that winter, it was actually my first strength training back, like the first day back. And I tore a disc in my um, lower back. And I, you know, I knew it at the time I was like, this is not good. (laughs) Like, this is not good. But I still, you know, gave everything. I'm like, I'm, I'm still on this mission. Like, I'm going to do the best I can. Like, that's all I can try. So I'm going to like, I called it throw the kitchen sink at it. So that, you know, that was a major, major test. And, and despite that, like I gave it everything. And I just ran out of time, really, before those Olympic qualifying races. So I wasn't selected for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic team. And that was devastating. I mean, I am like still dealing with that heartbreak and and will be dealing with that heartbreak. And it, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it, you know, it took a lot of resilience to stand back up after that huge heartbreak and say, okay, I'm in control of me. Like I'm not in control of results. I'm not in control of the selection committee. So I'm in control of how I show up after this and how I'm defined as a racer. Like that's me. No one else gets to define that. And so it was my goals quickly pivoted to, I don't want to say quickly, (laughs) but I pivoted to, all right, I want to show up to a World Cup start line and have the race that I know I can have. And so that just took some time, you know, to come back from this back injury and, and show up at a World Cup start line knowing, like, you know, having the race that I knew I could have. Cause I wanted to like kind of go out on my own terms like that. And there was a lot of setbacks through that, you know, that summer, like I got a concussion, I crashed again, I got taken out in a short track. I, um, I mean, let me name the ways. <laughs> like, Yeah. So it's, it's really been a journey and a, and a test for me. And I've also just, I've learned a lot about myself. Yeah. You said that there was a grieving process when the 2020 Olympics were canceled and then not getting selected was devastating and you're still working through that. So how do you work through that? You know, I think it's a, (laughs) that's a great question. (laughs) It's giving myself space and being easy on myself, you know, and it was most pointed right around that time when the Olympics happened and the selection happened, obviously it like, it just like hits you directly in the heart. And how I got through that, you know, I, like I said, I named it to tame it, tame it, you know, so it was communicating to my support network and Fraser, like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time here. 
and I need support. So I'm having a hard time getting out on my bike and doing the training that I need to do, right? To like come back from this back injury. So Fraser would, because I communicated that, Fraser would get off of work at 5 p.m., you know, from working all day. And she would get out on the bike with me and be my carrot, like for intervals, you know? So that's like one way I got through. And there are a lot of other ways. Like I was just, um, you know, what you resist persists, right? So it's along the same line of like naming what you're going through. So just like realizing the gravity and the gravity of this heartbreak and the, and the heaviness of that moment. And I was doing an interval session and I always finish intervals. And like on this particular day, it was just too much to bear, right? Like I, I had just absolutely had it. And on like with two, two more VO twos left, I just was like broke down on the side of the road crying. And like, that's okay. Because in that moment, that's the, that to me, that's the picture of resilience because the only way through is to feel it, I think. So I was like, all right, let's get right through this. (laughs) I'm going to like cry and sob on the side of the road, you know, kind of collapse and, and move through this because this is a big deal. You know, this is like a, this is a broken journey of, of the last four years. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's a really vulnerable thing to share and a really hard thing to share. Yeah. And yeah, accepting and feeling those emotions that you don't want to feel like I, I keep getting goosebumps listening to you because I haven't had your journey, but I've had ever all, everyone listening. All of us have had our own journey of some kind yeah. where we felt that way. And it's hard to let it in. And also when you let it in to give yourself the grace, like what you just described. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you have to go easy on yourself, especially right now. It's like, there is so much heaviness in the world. So yeah, like I couldn't finish the interval set, you know, like that may look different for people, but I encourage people to feel it really. So after not, cause you said, I always finish my intervals after not finishing that. How did you, the next time you had intervals decide to show up again, because at the beginning you said, I keep showing up. And that's something that I talk about a lot too, is I believe yeah. in showing up and giving yourself the best chance. Yeah. But when you're feeling that heavy feeling, it's not all always easy to show up. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, honestly, getting started and showing up is the hardest part. So I find that once I get moving, things will usually shift. And and it's good to know that about myself. And it's also good to have my wife, Frazier, like remind me, right? Like, you need people to kind of be like, all right, Leah, I know this is really like you're feeling this and it's okay. Just go get on your bike and get moving. And it always, it always shifts for me. So yeah, you know, honestly, feeling that in that interval session, like it made it way better the next time. Like I did not cry during an interval session after that because I, I moved through that moment because I actually felt it. Yeah, I'll just share that like I'm, I've cried during intervals as well. And, and sometimes it's from like a feeling of loss, but sometimes yeah. it's like 
a feeling of joy. Like the other day I was riding my intervals and I was feeling strong and I just felt so grateful that I felt that way. And so excited that I had the opportunity to line up for a race in the near future. And it's just, I think your emotions run so high when you're pushing your body and it allows for things to flow through you in an easier way than when you're just like walking around in your house. Totally. Yeah. It really gets you in your body. And when you push yourself that hard, it has a way of surfacing things. Right. And I think that like that now you're actually your story, like is choking me up because, um, to, to feel the gratitude of the opportunity that we have to be, you know, healthy and to be able to move our bodies and get out there. Like that is an important reminder. I think every day is to, is to be grateful of health and, and the opportunities that we have. So you mentioned, uh, your, your world cup season last year, where just (laughs) all of these things kept happening and you're like, why come on. And a lot like, sounds like they're out of your control too. So how did you, how did you deal with that part? Oh yeah. Like you said, I mean, it was so frustrating. And like you said, I just kept showing up because I was on this mission. I had worked so hard. Right. And and nothing was working out, but I knew that I just needed to keep giving myself that opportunity. So let's keep showing up. Like something is going to work out. Like it has to. And it did at the last opportunity of the season at the final world cup in snowshoe, West Virginia, I finally, finally, finally had the race that I knew I could have. And I, I spent most of that race. It was, it's very poetic and it was such a gift. Like talk about gratitude. I mean, I spent most of that race. I was the first American in the race and most of that race, the Olympic champion, Yolanda Neff, like she won the Olympics in Tokyo. She was drafting off of me. Like I was pulling her around for most of that race. And I love Yolanda, like we're, we're good friends. And she's like, Leah, Oh, this is so awesome. Like you're doing so great. And it's almost like, you know, that gave, that was my own gold medal, right? Like I spent that race with the Olympic champion, like being impressed and literally towing her around. Cause I was stronger for most of the race and having racing on home soil and having that the entire support of like a 20,000 plus American crowd was incredible. And so it was just such, such a gift and gave me closure really on that season. And, and then on my world cup career, like, I'm just so grateful that I could end it on that note. Um, you know, at that moment I hadn't decided that I was going to retire from world cups, but it was just, it I did later. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for snowshoe and and how it worked out. Yeah. We'll link up some other podcasts you've been on in the show notes that I listened to the last few days, because it's just impossible to talk about all the things that I want to ask (laughs) you and all the stories, great stories and perspective you bring. (laughs) Something, Something that I heard you say is like, you kept showing up and you kept working hard and you kept believing. And it sounds like you had a lot of belief that the work that you were doing was the right work to set you, to set you up for the outcome or just the feeling that you were going after. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I have a history of hard work paying off. And in a way, last season was a tough lesson that it doesn't always pay off in the way that you want it to or the way that you envision. And in some ways, it pays off more. Right. So, you know, it didn't pay off in the way that I wanted to have a lifelong dream of winning an Olympic medal. And it gave me this experience of like developing resilience and, and heartbreak. And how do I get through that? That I think is everyone goes through and it's very applicable to everybody. And yeah, it like, I, I think we just need to like another lesson I learned is like, we need to remain open in these times, like a really tough times when we just, things are uncertain, you know, like I didn't get selected for the team. So what am I going to do now? And, and am I going to retire? Am I not right? Like there's a lot of transition and change for me. And I just try to remain open to what's going to surface because you just never know like what's going to pop up. And um, a great example of that is I remained open enough during last season to watch the uh, Olympic mountain bike race that I was supposed to be in. However painful that was, uh, you know, I woke up at 2 a.m. and I'm like, I, I have to watch this race. And something that that gave me was I saw in that race, like seventh place in that race was right in the mix. I'm pretty sure it was Evie Richards who then went on to win the world championships. And she was like so close to the medals, right? Like just a slight feel slightly better on that day. And she would have been in the medals. And that was really an important thing for me to see because I left Rio disappointed with a seventh place. Cause I went, went in as a medal favorite. I came out without a medal and I'm like, Oh, seventh place. Like I'm disappointed. And then seeing seventh place in Tokyo, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was like Evie, you know, like I was right in the mix. And, and on that day, if just the slight change, I would have won a medal. And so it kind of gave me healing and, and closure with that experience. So it's like, it's a good thing to remain open <laughs> it, like through these really tough times. And it's hard. It's a hard thing to do, but you can just like take a deep breath and be, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. And it also sounds like a lot of times we feel isolated with yeah. our disappointments and we think, oh, it's only me. But then you, when you saw Evie was kind of in the same boat that you were in in Rio, it's like, oh, I've been carrying this this whole time and yeah. I, I'm actually not alone in this. Like other yeah. people go through this too. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's sport. Like I'm pretty sure every woman in that pro field goes through the same things that I've been through. That's, that's just athletics, you know? Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit because you, you have had a very long career. You've ridden for a lot of different teams yeah. Um, so actually, <laughs> All actually, of them. And I actually like. wanted to, it, it's a, that's a really cool experience actually, like from the outside looking in. And I wanted to ask you 
like I've never been on a big trade team before. I've always mm-hmm. been sort of a, a privateer or on a smaller team. So what what are the differences for, between some of these organizations? If you if you can speak to that. Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I have been on a lot of different teams. Each each is a very unique and different experience. And I think, you know, they can change and morph over the years because there's not always the same leadership. The staff changes. I think the <laughs> I mean, what do you want to know about the Cliff Pro team was like such a great, I'll just like give some highlights, I guess. The best thing about being on the Cliff Pro team were my teammates. I mean, it was like such a powerful group of women that were so close and and we had a blast. I felt like I could really set the tone on that team and take our leadership role. And we just had fun. You know, like I had a ton of fun hanging out with every single one of those women. And it was it was a great example of teamwork. You know, on Specialized, I, I had some of my best results on Specialized. That is a top-notch organization uh, focused on high-performance racing. It's, it's a well-oiled machine. And again, the same theme runs through of like, you know, I have a hashtag happiness is fast. And so I was on the team with Kate. We overlapped for like three years. And we were thick as thieves, like we were inseparable and same thing, like having a blast together and riding the courses together. You know, she would have strengths. I would have other strengths. We would just help each other. So it was just this beautiful teamwork coming together and having a ton of fun, you know, like taking advantage of traveling to all these great places around the world. And, and like going to the Sydney Opera House and, and going to a Vance Joy concert and like climbing a big pass in Europe together. And so I feel very lucky to have kind of throughout my career to have been on teams with these great women who, who are now like my best friends. You know, you literally spend more time with them than you do your own spouse or partner, you know? So it's, I just have a lot of gratitude for the support that I have received, you know, from, from these companies and then, and from all my sponsors really. And for the people who stepped up and believed in me and also for like the love and support and all the great memories that I have with all of my teammates. Yeah, it sounds like the culture aspect of being on a big team, especially with other women, is really empowering. Especially, yeah. like you said, you got to be a leader and the tone is set at the top and joy and fun and happiness. Those all are things that you've brought. And it sounds mm-hmm. like that really has brought everybody up around you too. Yeah, I mean, and especially in the later part of my career, like it was a, a side mission of mine to create a team sport from an individual sport. Like I'm a firm believer that we as team USA or, you know, like as the trade teams, we have the entire world to race against. So why would we focus all of our energy on like racing each other? It's very easy to do, you know, like that's the norm in mountain biking. Cause we're all 
there's this scarcity mindset. We're all fighting for like the same resources and are we going to get signed to the same team? But if you, I liked, I tried to turn that concept on its head and be like, no, let's work together because we're going to go way farther if we work together and it's way more fun. So, you know, that was a big, that was a big mission in the lead up to the Tokyo Olympics and really coming together as Team USA to qualify those three spots, you know, for the Tokyo Olympic team, which for the first time in history, we had the opportunity to do so, but we had to work together to get enough points to be ranked in the top two in the world to get those spots. And we did it, which is really incredible, I think. Yeah, that was what you talked about in your TEDx Boston. Yes. Um, I, I haven't seen it yet. I was looking online for it today. I'm like, where is this stock? I really want to watch it. I know it's going to come out soon. I'm like waiting for the link. I, I can't wait to get it out there. But yeah, my talk was um, on competitive collaboration and really that story of turning an ind- the individual sport of mountain biking into a team sport and in the pursuit of those Olympic spots. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. So I have to ask, um, yeah, I want people to watch the TED talk when it comes out. So I don't want to have any spoilers here, but I want to ask about how you actually do that because there's a lot of highly competitive people in our sport. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of highly competitive people at the top of any company or sport or organization. And I think it does take a level of awareness and perspective to say, Hey, like we can collaborate to be better and to create a bigger pie instead of Mm -hmm. try and hack away this tiny little piece for myself. So how, like, how can somebody actually do that whenever they are feeling restrictive or they're feeling like, I don't even have much opportunity. I don't want to like give away my secrets or I don't want to like, potentially that person might get the thing that I want. And that, that kind of happened to you with the Olympics too. So like, how do you reckon with that? Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing. Well, you got to watch my TED talk. (laughs) Um, I do like really get into it in the TED talk. I think an important aspect is, you know, that mindset of abundance versus scarcity, right? And, And it's kind of switching that mindset to be, there is enough for everybody. Like there is enough to grow the pie, work together. We don't have to be fighting for scraps. So it's really, it's a cognitive switch and it takes confidence to do that. Because for me to help lead the charge of becoming the team and and really mentoring this next generation of mountain bikers and giving everything, you know, like I gave Kate all my secrets and And I, that took confidence for me to be like, I also have what it takes to make the Olympics. Like I am confident if everything goes well and I have, you know, it takes a little bit of luck, but I can make the team. Like I'm one of the top contenders. And if we work together and we push each other, right. In this competitive collaboration, then it makes it like, so if I don't get that spot, then I at least like, and like, say, for example, Kate won the world championships, right? In 2018, after we had been teammates and, and I had mentored her 
And I could own a small part of that victory and celebrate it because I was a part of that. Like I was a small part of that victory. And it's way more fun to like take that approach and be like, hell yeah, Kate, like we did it. Like you won the world championships instead of being like, ugh. I wish I won the world championships. Like, of course I do. But like, you know, what's the next best thing is Kate winning the world championships, honestly. So like, it's way more fun to kind of take that abundance mindset. And like, you know, the the title of my TED talk is how to win when you don't. Right. So it's, it's all about that. Like, how do we win? when we lose, (laughs) like, how do I feel like I've won the world championships, even when I haven't, and Kate has, well, it's through competitive collaboration and this whole process. Yeah. I think when you're like more separated from it, like people that watch football, when their team wins, they feel like they won too. Yeah. And that, you know, that's part of it, but whenever it's, you're actually in the arena, I think it's a little bit harder. And I like that you said, you said something, I think about this a lot too. Like you can simultaneously be really happy for somebody and with somebody. And at the same time, you can also hold space to be sad that you didn't get that or hold that space. And a lot of times we think these have to be like two separate things. Like I am either unhappy or I am happy for this person, but they can exist at the same time. And it's natural for them to exist at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like as humans, it's hard for us to hold opposites in the same space because we just want to box it, right? Like it makes more sense to be, I am devastated that I didn't win the world championships, but you can actually hold, both things can be true. It's a hard, it's tricky, you know, it's not easy, but if you can just do it a little bit, it's, it's way more fulfilling. And you also said that confidence is what helped you sort of put that stuff aside and to be like, I'm going to give all my secrets and I'm going to be happy even if this person surpasses me. How do you build that confidence to actually do that? Yeah. (laughs) I think you build confidence as you get older. And, and, you know, as I came to the second half of my career and like you have more experience and you can kind of like see the benefit of giving to the greater good and mentoring like that's this is something that I take a lot of joy in too so I was I love doing it like it fills up my cup and I think just taking confidence in the process like I have a great support team I have a great strength coach a a great bike coach nutritionist sleep coach like I am checking all the boxes and doing everything to the best of my ability So to show up at that start line, ready to go. So that, you know, I took away a lot of confidence from that process Mm -hmm. because that's all you can do, right? Is like, give the best that you can, your best effort forward. So I knew like I had a great support team behind me and that, I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. And something else that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like a lot of times when I ask people what their goal is on the start line or what I even my own goals are, it's like, I want to be proud when I cross the finish line. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily like you want to win the race. Everybody wants to win the race or, <laughs> but like you could win the race and not feel proud of your accomplishment mm-hmm. and great competition, especially at the highest level 
that's even less likely that you're going to win the race in some ways. And competition can push you to be even more proud of that result, even if you came like third or eighth or 20th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's more meaningful to race against the best, right? Like you don't want a soft field to show up because it doesn't make, if you win, it doesn't make it as meaningful. So like, yeah, give me the best because like you were saying, even if I come in top 10 or top 20, I can be like, wow, this is how I stack up. Like I had a great ride, you know, and, and this is where I landed. Like, and that's, I think that's a great goal is to, is to be proud because we really, to be proud of the effort. That's all, what I'll add in because we don't have any control over the results. Like, boy, do we wish we did because I would win everything. I might give some wins to some people, (laughs) but like, yeah, so we don't have control over the results. We have, we only have control over our efforts. So if you cross the line being proud of that, you gave your best effort. I think that's a win. Do you have any other goals that you set whenever you show up to a TED talk or to a start line? Always. I mean, of course, of course you like, I'm a professional athlete, so you have to have results goals, but I always have other goals and they're usually actions like two or three actions that I can take during the race. So it's always give my best effort. Like that's the number one driving goal. And then it could depend on the day or the course or the time of season. Um, It could be get a really great start. You know, it could be push, really push in this section or make sure to relax in this section or like, I mean, it, it just really depends on, on the race and like what's happening, but it's always actions that I can, I can control. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, um, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear about your kit at unbound. Oh yes. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this season. I retired from world cups and I'm racing domestically. And I thought it was a really cool opportunity to use my platform that I have to kind of promote organizations and causes that I really believe in and that are doing work that I really believe in. So the first one was that I, and I'm designing a kit that's inspired with Garneau that's inspired by these organizations. So the first one that I unveiled was at Sea Otter Classic in the spring. And that was for Little Bellas, the organization that we started, you know? So um, I was actually racing in a kit designed by a Little Bella, which was really cool. There is an avocado on the back pocket and there was like a rainbow on the front. It's like one of my favorite kits. And then for Unbound, that's where um, I debuted the next kit. And it was inspired by the organization Athlete Ally. And that's an organization working through the sports space to advocate for LGBTQ plus rights. And it's an organization that I'm an ambassador for. So it felt right, you know, 
it was Unbound happened at the beginning of Pride Month, June 4th. And the whole kit concept is dark to light. So darkness to light. I have the same paint, custom paint job on my bike. It's a night sky kind of to uh, lighter, lighter colors like a sunrise. And the whole concept is me coming out to out of the darkness to be myself and live my true authentic life and celebrating that process of coming out of the darkness and living in, in the light as a gay Olympian, you know, who has a wife and is married. Yeah, it was, it was so great. I mean, it was such a cool experience to be able to design. First off, that Allied wanted to do that, design that custom paint job on my bike. And then also that Garneau, you know, wanted to create these custom kits along with my mission for the season. Yeah. Something that I think I read it or I heard you say it. It's like a lot of people don't even think about that, about the burden that other athletes have to carry. And I read something like you said, yeah, I'm, if I come out or if I say certain things, I'm afraid that I won't be able to get sponsors or I won't even be able to go to the Olympics. And mm -hmm. I think the awareness around that is so incredibly important because like a, a lot of people just don't even think about that because they, they don't have to. And I think yeah. it's so, it's so powerful. The, the, like there are really hard things that we're dealing with right now in these times, but there's also a lot of really important and helpful things that are happening right now too. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot going on <laughs> right now. I, yeah, you know, I was lucky to have the support of family and friends coming out. So that's, you know, that's a whole nother layer that a lot of fellow LGBTQ plus in the community don't have. And uh, so I was lucky to at least have that kind of grounding force. So at the very basic level, I knew that I was loved by my family and friends and accepted. And then in the professional world, in my job, that's another level, right, of visibility. And I didn't really have many role models to look up to, to when I was coming up through the sport saying, hey, okay, it's, it's okay for me to come out and, and be gay, like, I... And I can, if I do that, I can make my dreams come true, right? Like, yeah. and be an Olympian because it takes a village, it takes a village of people to make it happen. You need mechanics, you need years, you need trade teams and sponsors. And I didn't know if that village was going to start to fall apart. So yeah, for a while, I, I mean, I just lived under the radar until until I had um, that experience of being celebrated, you know, leading up to 2018 when I was getting married to Frazier. And Garneau, you know, made me a custom wedding kit, like a skin suit. And they, we had a photo shoot with Frazier and I wearing it. And they blasted it all over their social media and an email blast. And I had never had that experience of like, oh my gosh, I'm like being celebrated for this. And, and that was such a gift that was liberating. And so that, I mean, I wanted to pay that gift forward and be like, yeah, I want to be that role model that I needed, you know, growing up in this sport and 
um, hopefully create a little bit more space for people coming up behind me to be like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I can be myself and, and pursue my dreams. Yeah. Be myself and pursue my dreams. And yeah, you mentioned the word light and you mentioned the word space whenever you were talking about what that was like to just be able to be you. And that I'm sure that that allows even more space for all of these other mentorship things that you're trying to teach and, and opportunities. And you said earlier, it's important to remain open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to pivot again here and let's see, there's so many, I have a list here. I'm just going to take a look. <laughs> I want to ask you about your family because like your mom is a celebrity and I've, I've never actually <laughs> met your mom, but I, I love you. Well, my mom's only been in one bike race ever. So I see your mom like Leah's mom is, is awesome. And like your sister, you know, she's, she's the executive director of Leah's, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's you, it seems like your family is really close with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we are definitely a tight knit family and it's a, it's a pretty special thing to be, you know, to start a nonprofit with your sister and then have you know her take the reins and and be working together to to kind of run this nonprofit and yeah my family has always been very supportive i mean without my parents support i would not have been a professional bike racer especially at the beginning it you know just the finances of it like graduating from college and how are you going to make this work and so i lived with my parents until I was 30, you know, (laughs) like that is the only way I could make it work. And they were like a hundred percent on board. Like my mom is out there. Like I'm like sitting at the kitchen table, like, Oh, it's 50 degrees of raining. Mm -hmm. Get out there, Leah. I'm like, okay, mom. (laughs) (laughs) And she is you know, she's a cheerleader, literally, like, she has a reputation on the World Cup Mm -hmm. for being like, the loudest cheer, which is so awesome. And, you know, that's, that is my family, like, on and off the bike, cheering for me and supporting me. Yeah, Yeah, it's been incredible. I think a lot of people don't realize that, like, oh, they're like, so cool, you're a professional mountain biker. But a lot of times people don't realize, like, yeah, yeah, but you like it might not be this like lifestyles of the rich and famous that you're envisioning yeah. it to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it's living with your parents until you're 30 and you're like, you know, living out of a suitcase from from outside it can seem like oh, we're traveling to all these like exotic locations like France and Italy. And it's like, I've seen, yes, I've seen a lot of beautiful places and I've seen a lot of hotel rooms and a lot of beautiful places, you know, like you got the reality of it is to perform at a high level. You don't get to be a tourist very often vacation. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, exactly. You're sitting in the hotel room with your feet up, trying to rest and recover and, and really give it your best shot. Yeah. So the it's, it's end of June right now. Um, we were talking a little bit of, you were thinking about what the rest of your season looks like, but how are, like, how are you feeling now about the rest of the season and just how your re- non-retirement or your retirement <laughs> from World cup, but your, I think I read like an off ramp. <laughs> like yeah. how's, how's that going right now? I, 
I think I'm putting the tired in retirement (laughs) (laughs) with racing all these longer races. Um, It has been so interesting. I mean, I am really glad that I've like kind of branched out to this different experience of racing gravel races and longer races, um, you know, in the lifetime Grand Prix. I unbound was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Tell people what that is real quick for those who don't know. Yeah. So unbound is one of the biggest gravel races in the States, probably out there in the world. And it is a 200 mile gravel race. So it's all on rough dirt roads, like all 200 miles. And it's a mass start. So you start with like 2000 people and it is tough. And it took me, I finished in under 12 hours, which I was really proud of. And it took everything I had to finish that race. I mean, I have trained for an hour and a half race, (laughs) like for 20 years. And so my body is just not trained for that long of an effort. Like I can eke out like four or five hours of racing, but like my, the lights went off after like up until that point, you know, like after that point in unbound. So, and then it just became survival. So it was, it was really tough. I mean, I'm very glad that I finished. I'm very proud of that finish. And I have been wrecked ever since. (laughs) Seriously, last week was the first time that I've gotten on my bike. And that's like three weeks after the race. I broke out in a crazy rash after that race that started, you know, um, just like where my shorts went. And we were riding through the mud and like cow fields. And then it started to move throughout my body. And then I started to get like crazy sinus stuff. So I, I have been, um, I really have been dealing with it since then. I've been on like, I had to go on steroids. I'm still wow. on steroids. So I'm finally feeling like a little bit like myself. And I like to say that maybe I learned that I'm allergic to gravel. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to practice all your resilience um, and you never give up and <laughs> all the things. Oh, I was bringing out all the tools. Full circle. Full circle. All the tools, son. You have to finish <laughs> that race. I don't know how you do this long stuff. I mean, it is, it is like such a different effort and like a deep fatigue. Like... <laughs> It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Where can people find you to continue following everything Leah? Because if they're not following, they need to be. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you can. I'm very active on Instagram. So um, you can look me up under Leah Davison. It's L-E-A-D-A-V-I-S-O-N. Or my, my name is Leah Eats A Lot on Instagram. And then I also have a website, leahdavison.com. So I'm like posting updates on that. But Instagram is the main one. And I'll be posting my TED Talk, you know, on there. So please, everyone, go check it out. Yeah, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Um, awesome. Even if it's not out when this episode drops, people will go back and listen to old episodes. So it'll be there. Cool. And I can't wait for people to listen to it. And 
Thank you for everything that you've shared today, for your courage and for your vulnerability and for your honesty. I feel like I learned a lot and I'm sure that the listeners feel really good too. Thanks so much for having me. It was so fun talking with you. I hope you got a lot out of today's podcast. Don't forget to follow Leah online. And if something really stood out to you, make sure that you post it on social media or share the show with your friends. That way somebody else can get that same benefit from it too. As always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.